All right, uh, so Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 11 to 20. And please stand to hear the reading of God's holy and inspired word. This is God's word. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while, he, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they, as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth, of the age. Excuse me. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's very interesting, at least to me, congregation, uh, to see that the culture that we live in is a highly polarized one, isn't it? I remember several years ago, uh, while in seminary still, I was at the gym and I had before me two screens, uh, two TVs, on before me and it was two competing news channels and ironically both tv screens were showing the same story same images at the same time and i really i wish i remember but i really don't remember what it was but i do remember that one of the tvs uh was reporting uh and and saying that everything that has happened just recently was horrible it was the the worst that has happened in the previous century in America. And we had good reasons to be alarmed, concerned, to die, because everything was the worst. On the other screen, uh, there was the same story, same images, uh, however, the tone was entirely different. It was a tone of celebration. For, for people in this news channel, it was a time to celebrate because what has happened in America was the best thing that has ever happened in the world. And so it was a time to celebrate, to celebrate. And so I remember coming out of the gym impressed about the manipulation behind both news corporations. There was no common ground. There was no concern for reporting the truth. There was fake news. It was only what we wanted to tell people and only that that we care about. It was a distortion of the events on both sides. And, and there is something similar in our text this morning, uh, believe it or not, because our text speaks about the king's commission. And we will explore this uh, commission under two headings, graciously given to me by your brother John Bryan here. Uh, the first is fake news, and the second is good news. So fake news, good news. Uh, let's see the first, the first part, fake news. And although by now I'm sure you know that dividing the text in two parts is kind of my thing. Uh, this division in Matthew kind of springs 
from the text itself very evidently. It highlights the fact that wherever we are find or faced with the Christ, then there is almost inevitably a division in us, a twofold division. So look at the first division in verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Notice the parallel action that we are seeing in the text in the narrative congregation. While the, the women were running with the newly found joy in their hearts, going to tell the disciples the news of resurrection, at the very same time, some of the soldiers have made their way to the authorities to tell them the very same news. But see the interesting thing here in the text. At this point, Matthew decides to show us what happens to the soldiers first. And, and isn't that interesting? Why doesn't he go directly with the woman and then to the disciples? Why doesn't he show us the Great Commission first? Well, apparently, that's not what the Holy Spirit has in his mind. And that's not what the Holy Spirit has decided it will be best for us to see. And the reason is that Matthew is guided by the Holy Spirit and he wants us to be confronted with unbelief, with unbelief. What do people need in order to believe in the gospel, congregation of the Lord? What is it that people need? Maybe a miracle will do, right? Well, a Jesus, as you know, did thousands of those and no response. Maybe the clear fulfillment of prophecies will do. People looking back to what the prophets have said, and then they will believe in Jesus Christ. Except that Jesus did that too, and unbelief was still there. What about the news of the resurrection then? That is something weighty, isn't it? That is something unique. Certainly the news of resurrection, of something momentous that has never happened before, will change their minds, right? Nope. Nope. See verses 12 and 13. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people. <clears throat> His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. This is the ugly picture of blunt, in-your-face kind of unbelief. Jesus has risen from the dead. But the leaders respond with systemic unbelief organized unbelief let's get together let's make a plan they said let's say that the disciples stole his body and everything will be okay the lie sounds plausible sounds credible it's perfect it's unbelief let me remind you boys and girls that we're talking about the religious leaders of israel these are the pastors of the nation of israel the ones who know scriptures and the ones who just heard right now that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, we have this ugly picture in the text of unbelief, of setting up fake news against the resurrection news. That same morning, as people are waking up in Jerusalem, the quarters of the Jerusalem Times have been busy printing like never before their newspapers with the headlines, Jesus' disciples had allegedly stolen his body from the tomb. Fake news born out of unbelieving hearts. Throughout history, these fake news have made their way in people's hearts. Sometimes in more direct ways, sometimes in more sophisticated ways. But the thing is that even in the church, and yes, that is for you and I, 
brothers and sisters, these fake news sometimes make their home in our hearts. Jesus has risen, we confess. He's the mighty Lord of the universe, declares the gospel. But we respond, yeah, 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 yeah. But he can't change my behavior. He has risen. Yeah, but he cannot help with my situation. He has risen. Yeah, but this sickness, this suffering, this pain, this situation is far from his power. And so we try to fix ourselves. And so we go out and about trying to fix our problems in our own strength because we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, but we don't believe that he has the power to help us. We don't believe that he has the power to do something with what is going on in our lives. So we have this all powerful, resurrected Christ that somehow is not enough for us. And somehow we gave way to hopelessness. Somehow we shared the leader's unbelief, thinking that the resurrected Christ has nothing to do with us. He's a nice savior, but he's far away from us. Or at least we keep him far away from us because we are too busy trying to fix ourselves. We say we believe, yet at the same time that Jesus cannot help with our marriages, cannot help with our situation, cannot help with our relationships. We make friends with unbelief. We have swallowed the fake news of the devil. Broken churches, broken relationships, broken marriages, broken lives, broken people. And unbelief says, there is no hope. Let me try to fix it myself. Or let me run away because there is no hope. Have we forgotten, congregation of the Lord, that we are not hopeless people? Have we forgotten that there is nothing impossible for God? Unbelief, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is something that we need to actively oppose and reject because the fake news of the devil are everywhere around us and, yes, sometimes even inside us. The devil loves when we believe the fake news. He loves when we go, there is no hope for me. He loves that. And yes, he loves when we surrender and when we think that the best thing that we can do is to live our lives as they are now, in misery, because nothing will ever change. You see, if Jesus is truly risen, if Jesus is this almighty Savior, then there is hope, then, then there is salvation then staying as you are and accepting your misery is not an option. It's not an option. Because in Jesus, there are millions upon millions of reasons to have hope. Not a hope in you. Not hope that somehow you will fix yourself. But hope that Jesus, in his might and in his power, will restore you. Will restore your life your relationships, your marriage, his church. Fake news tells you, you have to do something. The gospel tells you, believe in Christ, rest in him. Fake news tells you, why bother praying? Nothing happens, it's useless. The gospel tells you, pray to him, pour out your heart to him, 
cry to him in prayer because he is listening and he will move in his time and according to his will to answer your prayers. See, that requires faith, doesn't it? But that is precisely the point. We are supposed to be people of faith, not blind faith, but faith in a secure foundation, faith in a powerful God that as he moves in his response to our prayers, he also transforms our hearts. Congregation, brothers and sisters, do not yield to unbelief. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the gospel promises. And now I think you and I know what is going on in verses 14 and 15. Let me read those again. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep him and keep you out of trouble. So they took money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among, among the Jews to this day. You see what is going on here, don't you know? Don't you? The leaders are covering their tracks, which in time establishes this fake news as something as if, if it were true, but it's not. The Jews have their fake news. The disciples stole their, his body. The Greeks, on the other hand, they ignored the resurrection. For them, it doesn't make sense. And throughout history, we have those two stories repeating itself, themselves once and again and again. Whether we as a society completely deny Jesus' existence or we simply dismiss his resurrection as a myth, our society too has yielded to unbelief. Today we have a plethora of fake news. And I'm not talking about CNN or Fox News. No, I'm talking about fake news about the gospel. We have the gospel according to opera. We have the gospel according to wellness and well-being of organic products that will make you live forever. The fake news according to materialistic science and so on. It takes wisdom, brothers and sisters. It takes faith encompassed with a good knowledge of scriptures to chew the meat and spit the bones. Because these fake news are still being perpetuated even now, seeking to occupy the vacuum that is in our hearts with anything else that is not Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. Now, if those are the fake news, what are the good news then? Well, let's move to our second point where we see the good news. Pay attention to verses 16 and 17. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Notice the difference that we find here. Fake news, they are grafted in the secret from those who want to distract people from the truth, from Jesus. The good news of the gospel, on the other hand, are very public. This is not a secret meeting. This is in a mountain where everyone can see Jesus and his disciples. But there is something more happening here than just that. Whenever scriptures speak about mountains, we need to pay attention to it. It's a very good hint. It was a mountain in which the Garden of Eden was founded upon, after all. And it was a mountain where God came down and spoke with Israel. It was a mountain where God spoke to Moses, to Elijah, and to others. Mountains, brothers and sisters, are these places where God is meeting with his people. And so, it is over a mountain, once again, 
that the new community of God's people, the disciples, is gathering with Jesus, the Son of God, who is God himself. So this is not just any mountain, and this is not just any meeting. It's loaded with meaning. This is the new covenant people of God, the gathering of God himself with his people. It is the beginning of the recreation of everything. It is a unique kind of meeting that establishes the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ here and now. Now pay attention to Jesus' words, and we are going to explore them bit by bit. Look at verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not as the all-encompassing declaration of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't say, some authority is given to me. Jesus doesn't say, a small part of the kingdom has been given to me until you guys fight for it and complete it. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. He doesn't say, more authority will be given to me and once you enforce it upon the earth. That is not what it says. It does not say, conquer the world for me, and then my kingdom will come. That doesn't say, that is not what the text says. Rather, all authority already belongs to him. It's already present. It's a reality. Jesus commissions uh, uh, his disciples because he already has authority. His kingdom is now. And nothing of what we can do can detract or advance it from what he has already determined to do. The resurrection announces to the world the reality that the devil, he has been defeated, that sin has no, no more power over, over us, that Jesus has all the power in his hands over everything. Not some things, not a little piece, everything. So can Jesus help you change your sinful behavior? Of course he has. All authority has been given to him. Can Jesus help fix your marriage, your problems, be a comfort for your soul, give you hope in times of darkness and trouble? Of course, all authority belongs to him. If there is anyone who can do it, it's not you, it's Jesus. We just need to believe the good news of the gospel. Notice also the scope of his authority. His authority spans over heaven and earth. Jesus' congregation is the Lord over the whole of creation, over the whole of your life. He has authority over every single piece of you. There is not a little single piece of your life that you can go, not for you, Jesus. Stay away. I don't want you to rule over this piece of my life. That is not the case. The Lordship of Christ over our lives is all-encompassing. What you think, what you watch, what you enjoy, do, where you work or where you study, where you live, what your opinions are, everything is ruled by Christ. Everything. And the faster you come to terms with that, the better it will be for you. Because for the Christian, there is nothing better than to be subdued in obedience to the Christ. His grace restores us. His kingdom is truly eternal, and authority is enforced in us through his law and through his word. And that, that brings true freedom. Is there anything impossible for the resurrected Christ? The disciples and us, by, by instance, 
are encouraged to see this almighty Christ in all his splendor and to understand and believe that he has the power not only to forgive our sins, but to transform our lives, which are the first fruits of a future in which the whole earth will be transformed to his glory. Now look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Having seen God, having experienced his presence as the Almighty, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, then the disciples now receive a command from God himself, an imperative that bears the mark of Jesus and makes it impossible to fail. The mission for the church will not fail because Jesus is the one who commands it. It is a command that includes and expands the command of creation in Genesis 2. What is the command? Go and make disciples. Bring the kingdom to others. Notice what has been said. It does not say, go and throw tracts at people's faces and go away. It doesn't say, go make them pray a prayer and believe that your work is done. It says, go and make disciples. A disciple is a person upon which we invest ourselves in, our energies. We talk with them, we walk with them, we teach them, we invite them to church and sit, and sit next to them and we explain everything to them. We love them. We answer their questions. We invest in them. Discipling starts in our homes, where we are, with spouses and with children. Knowledge, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is not for you to feel superior to others. Take that, we are better. It's not for that. It's to share with others, to help them grow in Christ, so they too are amazed at the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. This command also does not mean that you need to be idle. The Christian who loves his Savior, he will want to know more. And as he knows more for, from him, as he learns, he will also rejoice in sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Discipling, walking with, opening your house to, precisely because that is what Jesus has done with you and for you. That is what Jesus is saying. And as this happens in our families and in our churches, part of the discipline includes identifying yourself with Christ. And, and what is the most definite mark that you belong to Jesus? What is the most definite mark that you are identifying yourself with God's people? Hint, in the Old Testament, it used to be circumcision. In the New Testament, baptism. Baptism is so closely identified with Jesus Christ that to be united to him is to be baptized in him. The covenant sign is for everyone who is of the seed of the woman, of the seed of the promise, for us and for our children, Peter says. Jesus not only restores us, his blessing is not only are given to us, the new humanity that he is calling in him also receives new promises, new covenantal signs. Those baptized in Jesus Christ receive the promises of God over them, the identification that they belong to Jesus Christ. That is why those who are born in our families, those are baptized as well. They are not sons of the devil. Are you crazy? They are a holy seed. 
They belong to him. They need to identify with Jesus too. They are to be disciples. They are to grow in the faith. And as they grow, as they understand the gospel, then baptism becomes something that they confess. Yes, I was baptized, and here is my faith. The promises of God are effective. Now look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them obedience to the words of Christ also implies that those who are teaching them are following them, right? That is a very basic, basic principle of the Christian life. A Christian is a little Christ. It's an imitator of his Savior. We are to walk imitating Jesus Christ. And as we walk in this world, our life will be shaped after his character. How can that be possible? How can that be when we stumble upon our sins with other sinful people and with a broken world? How can we do that? Everything is a mess. Well, let me tell you how. It is possible only in Jesus. You may be thinking, in Jesus? Yes, congregation, in Jesus. Because the same power that runs through Jesus' veins in the text is the same power that is running through you because of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection power, let me say that again, resurrection power is already available to you in Christ. Power to wait upon the Lord. Power to trust in Him. Power to change your life. Power that will mend your marriage. Power to deny yourself. Power to submit to God so Satan runs away from you. Resurrection power. Those are the good news of the resurrection. And in turn, Jesus will use you to bring others to his feet. Your, your children will see how sweet Jesus is. Your grandchildren will love to have godly parents that leads them to Christ. Your spouses will thank the Lord for your life because you are not living on your own power according to your own purposes, but in gospel ways according to the power of Christ. Do not misunderstand me, though. This doesn't mean that you will be perfect. You can breathe. doesn't mean that you will be perfect. But it means that we need to start taking seriously the imperatives of the gospel. Christ has power to transform you. You have been united to him. You belong to him. So trust in him. Believe in him. Cling from him in the hardest of the situations. And how can we be sure of that? You look at my life, pastor, it's a mess. How can you be sure of that? Because Jesus has promised to do so. Really, Christian? Is that it? Yep. That's it. We don't need anything else. If Jesus has promised so, we believe it. Period. He will never abandon us until he comes back for us. Jesus can forgive us. Jesus can help us. Jesus can mend our hearts. He can restore our marriages. He can take the darkest of our situations, whatever those are, and transform and transform them into something beautiful for his glory. And we know 
that as we walk in this world, we will never walk alone, ever. He is with us through the action of the Holy Spirit until the end. God himself with us until the end. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you understand that? I don't. And maybe you don't either. But we can certainly believe that. This morning, congregation, trust in him. Believe in him. Cling from him. Surrender to him. And live for his glory and his power. May he help us to do so even now. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we see around us, if we see even in us, we will see broken lives, broken people, a broken church, broken society, broken country, everything broken. But we thank you that you have given us resurrection power. We thank you that as we have been united to Christ and as we belong to you in Jesus Christ, we have not been abandoned. We have hope in you. And whatever we are going through, Lord, whatever struggles and darkness in our lives, we know now you are with us. That even the darkness is light for you. Nothing is hidden from you. And that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you walk with us. You empower us. So help us, Lord. Be merciful with us. Transform our hearts. Transform our realities. Transform our families. Help us to give glory to your name. Be merciful, Lord. And help us to believe in you and to cling from you as we see you working in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, our hymn of response is 276.